Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience podcast with Jeanette Lissette. Thought leaders explore the mindset, wellness, and wealth needed to realize next level transformation. Let's get started. Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. I'm your host, Jeanette Lissette, and today's guest is BG Hiley, and she's located in Montreal, Canada. She's a strategic visibility advisor for women. She's the host of Speaking with Women, and she also is a content creator and expert in personal branding for women. I am welcoming her to today's discussion and talk, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. First of all, I have to admit, when I first came across your name, I said, how do I pronounce this? So if you wouldn't mind sharing the correct pronunciation of your name. Yes, it's BG. So the G is soft. It's BG. G. Okay. It's frank, a francophone pronunciation. BG. Exactly. But that sort of lean into it. Tell me a little bit more about you. You live in Canada. You've been there for a while. I've been in Montreal for longer than I wish to admit. So I identify as a third culture kid. That is people who have not grown in the country of the culture of their origin of their parents, right? So my father is from Ethiopia. My mother is from Rwanda. I was born in Belgium. And then I'm 46 years old now. So at the time when I was a child, it was a time when a lot of the African diaspora were going back home after having done their studies in the West. They were going back home to try and contribute. So dad got a job, we went back. And then because it was a job in international development, we tended to change from country to country, right? So we lived in East Africa, in West Africa. And then eventually I went to France for my studies, the beginning of my studies, because I was in a French school and I did anything but study, obviously, because I was sent by myself in university in France. So that was in the South of France. Like how was anybody expecting me to do any kind of studying? I did that for a while and the whole family emigrated to Canada in 97. I joined them from France. And then it took me a few years of trying to figure my stuff out. But I ended up finishing my studies here, grew some roots, got married, had a child, got divorced. I think I can identify now as a Montrealer more than any other space that I've been in. I think Montreal is a space that I can call home and that I've started to identify with. That's beautiful. So what got you on the track? of becoming a strategic visibility advisor and why just women? Yeah, my background, the work that I've done has always been in consulting. I was a change management and organizational design consultant and I did that for quite a long time. In 20, I got pregnant with my son and I went on maternity leave. So in Canada, maternity leave is a whole year. So my husband at the time and I split it in two. I took seven months. He took five months with our son. I was on a big project before going on maternity leave. It was quite a visible project. And when I came back, I hadn't expected how hard it was going to be. I had this child who wasn't sleeping. Everything was hard. I was forgetting my own name. And as a consultant, there's an expectation of competence and expertise coming in. Like you can't ease your way back in. You're being paid to be always on. I found that so incredibly hard. And I started to look around me. I was in a lot of moms groups on book at the time. I was like, I can't be the only one who's living this. I can't be the only one who's having this moment. And I had my child late. So I was 39 at the time. It's like, I can't be the only one who is struggling so hard with this reconnection with my professional life. Something was just not feeling good. So I started to play around with helping. I I took a bunch of those moms and created my own Facebook group around career work. I had coached my husband through a number of promotions and I was really good at it. So I started to do that on the side and realized I really enjoyed it. Every aspect of careers, right? Like the figuring out what you want, the knowing how to toot your own horn. It came very naturally to me. 
me. And so I started to play in that space and eventually realized that moms, even though I loved them, they were not my core constituency and realized that it was always around women because it was the experience of being a woman in corporate, in general, in your profession that I was interested in. But I started to see that the women I was supporting as a consultant, these were my clients, right? All the ones who were the sponsors for my projects. I started to realize that I had a connection with them. I was like their own personal advisor because I wasn't their boss to whom they couldn't say they were struggling. And I wasn't their employee to whom they couldn't say they were struggling because they were supposed to be the one leading the, the group. And so here I was this sort of neutral advisor and I'm a good listener and I'm curious and I ask questions and, and I started to see how much of a connection I had with these women. And so my work shifted towards that. And eventually I realized that it really did not matter at what level in the organization we were. Everyone was struggling with imposter syndrome. Everyone was struggling with being visible. Everyone was struggling with building a personal brand. And I wasn't anymore. I had learned how to make myself visible. So that's what I started to help women with. As you can see, it's it's been an exploration path that has brought me to a space where I'm like, this visibility is the key. Making yourself visible is the key to unlocking all of the things we want in our careers we expect them to come from being competent and putting our heads down. That's a, a piece of it. The people need to know you exist. That's very profound. In fact, I was listening to one of your podcast episodes and there was quite a conversation about that. We have this thought that we can work our way to visibility. I know I've experienced thinking that in my corporate walk, that I show up, I look a certain way, I represent a certain way doing the work to the best and beyond what my peers might be doing, but yet and still it's not making the difference. That was then. Now I don't give a flip because I don't have to. I honestly don't care. In fact, this is interesting. I was on my way to a destination just yesterday. It's really not funny. It's just one of these things that happened. I was driving along on the expressway and I asked the actual corporate complex that I used to work in. Prior to this particular trip, I could feel the anxiety building up, even though I didn't even work there anymore. Yeah. But the experience of driving there three to four times a week for six years or what have you was in my bones. Yeah. And even after I separated, it was in my bones. Yesterday, as I was driving, there was no anxiety. That's beautiful. I was like, I'm fine over it. It's not to say that I did not enjoy the work or the company because I did. I had a fabulous time. Traveled the world. I was paid well for the work that I did. I enjoyed my team and this and that. But there was that element you feel that you know is not what it could be because of the structure or the construct that you exist in with its limitations. So I just made a mental note of that. And I thought, this is good. At least you're present. Such a growth moment, though, when we realize that something we were carrying in our bodies is no longer there without it being a cognitive process of noticing it. You're not thinking through it. You're feeling it. You're like, oh, it's not there anymore. That thing that I kept carrying is not there anymore. I've moved on. Like you have confirmation that you've moved on. Hearing your story and your journey seems so organic. And that's one of the things I really appreciate about how you share your story, but also how you share that particular experience that brought you to where you are. I just love that flow. A lot of times I get the feeling from some people that they're trying to force something into something, trying to make it happen so hard. And I just wonder how much of success is dependent on you driving things to where you want to go or experiencing things and perhaps guiding it. 
in such a way? Jeanette, I can't tell you how much I love this question. I really do. Because if there's one principle to which I adhere is testing things out. I don't believe that we can discover anything from our head. Our head will guide us in the direction, right? I knew I wanted to work with women. I knew I wanted to work in the professional sphere. I knew it wasn't about, for instance, motherhood, right? Like the relationship to your child. That's not what it was. It wasn't about your home. I knew it was about the professional sphere. I knew it was about women. But more than that, it wasn't clear. What made it clear was testing things out. And so the story that you hear as very organic is very much me having tested things out and then looking back and seeing the coherence. The danger that I see, and I see this in so many of my clients, which is why I really love this question, is that they try and force the coherence before it actually happen. You couldn't have known where you are today and that you'd be driving past your workplace and you'd realize that you'd released things that you were carrying for so long. But there are pieces that you know, right? There are pieces that you might have made happen to be a podcaster and to do all these things. You find out as you test. I wish more people would test things out in a risk-managed way because I know that Part of the reason people push back is because risk, right? I have a mortgage, I have this, I have that, fine. How can you adjust your level of risk so that you can test things out, get information, use that information to make changes and move forward? I had executives reaching out to work with me and my imposter syndrome was like, nope, nope, I don't have anything to say to them because I had never been an executive, right? And they would reach out and I was like, why are these women reaching out? And eventually... I started working with a couple and I was like, wait a minute, we totally jive. These are my people. What is wrong with me? I wouldn't have known it if I hadn't tested. If I had stayed in my head trying to figure out if like a VP or an SVP was a client of mine, I wouldn't have been able to do what I do and what I love. So it's organic because it comes from testing. And it's also organic because it's me looking back and telling the story of what's behind, not of what's Oh, I love that. Can I quote you on that? That's good stuff. It is really good stuff. And as I continue to meet these courageous individuals who are doing extraordinary things in their life because they decided to take a calculated risk, if you will, many of them have tried a lot of things, a lot of different things along the way and landed where they currently are. They continue to evolve and that's a beautiful thing. So I appreciate what you're saying about your experience and where it's going and how you're guiding it, but you're also experimenting along the way to figure out what works and maybe what doesn't work and what needs to be adjusted. That's life. So let's talk about the ultimate guide to imposter syndrome. I know that you're drawn to that topic and you have this big conference coming up. So what's all that about? So that conference is organized by Safi Media, specifically a woman named Eleanor Beaton that I really love. She has introduced me to one of the women who's a very close friend. She's a, a wonderful coach. What she's trying to do is to explore or imposter syndrome and the way that as entrepreneurs, we live imposter syndrome. Hmm. I'm on that panel because I've given a lot of thoughts to imposter syndrome, both as a way to scratch my own itch and then as a way to help women with that major constraint that we have, which is this feeling of not being enough, which always comes up in ways that we don't even imagine. I, I want to couch this first to, by saying that imposter syndrome is a gender neutral phenomenon, right? If, if men and women live it alike, the major difference is that 
women's internal voice meets society's expectations. So when we think I'm not enough, we are met with society telling us you are not enough. And so that that love marriage of ideas, men don't have that. Men feel like they're not enough, but then society sets it up. And I'm generalizing here, Jeanette, it's more subtle than that, but society meets them with possibilities. You can have this business, you can be this. They see themselves in the world in a way that women don't, right? So I'll give you an example. If I'm starting my business, someone might say to me, hey, Bibi, how's that little project of yours going? If John is starting his business, someone might say to him, hey, John, have you written your business plan yet? I have a VC I want to introduce you to. So the language that is being used to women and men is different. The language that women use for themselves in their head, the world is using it too, which is why imposter syndrome is such a subject for women. And as I was looking into how to scratch my own itch, I started to do some research, do conferences. And Jeanette, I realized, oh my God, it's so prevalent. It's so incredibly prevalent. And the higher up you go, the worse it is. Wow. And everybody thinks they're alone with this. Everybody thinks that they're the only one who's living this in that particular way. And so we hide it. The sentence women say the most when I give a conference about imposter syndrome is, oh my God, I thought I was alone. Remember being asked my rate, someone approached me for a corporate coaching program. And I really wanted to work with this organization. And they approached me and the the founder, CEO asked me my rate. And I opened my mouth to give him my rates and I discounted it by 25%. It was a decision. It was not a decision. It was the filter of me feeling like I'm not enough to be in that space. I cannot charge this amount. That filter that's in my body gave a number that was 25% lower than what I usually charge. It was crazy. So it's a deep constraint that I think everybody needs to be aware of, but women need to understand so that they understand that it's not them, right? There is a whole bunch of things that is happening for them to feel like they're not enough, but they can't unlock it till they see it. These are HDs that reach out and they're like, I feel like I need a postdoc or I feel like I need this. It's, it's craziness. Wow. Wow. So what are the strategies involved in creating the awareness? And then after the awareness is there, the question that I have is what do you do about it or what do you do with it? The first thing I tell people to do, I've called it the identify your imposter syndrome scenario. Think about it as a movie. It's different for everybody. You will have something that will trigger you. And this can be getting a new job, getting a new project, getting a new promotion. Something will happen that will send you in a space of being triggered, right? So for me, it's getting a new project and being asked what my rate is. I have a very particular relationship to money. Being asked about money will send me in a tailspin, right? And so understanding one, what's my trigger? So the scenario of yours, you understand what's your trigger. Number two is understanding what is the feeling that comes immediately when you get that trigger, right? Because it's an emotion that happens in your body. And the reason you want to understand it is because when you ask me, what do we do about it? With imposter syndrome, you want to pattern interrupt because you want to interrupt it when it happens, but you can't interrupt if you don't know. So you want to know what your triggers are. And then you want to know what's the feeling in your body when you're about to do something stupid. (laughs) So when you're triggered, what happens in your body, right? What are the thoughts that are going on in your head? Oh my God, I can't believe he just asked me that. Oh my God, maybe I should know already. How come I don't know? Everybody here seems to know. All those, oh my God thoughts, usually there's, oh my God, before you have thought when you're in that spiral. And then you want to understand what is the action that you typically take. And with imposter syndrome, it might be an action that you don't take. So for instance, it might be not asking for help. You're given a new project and someone says, is everything good? Do you understand what needs to get done? Yep, I'm good. No problem. 
everything's fine. We're good. And then you end up procrastinating because you feel like you don't know how to do this or you end up paralyzed or lots of stuff, right? So understanding what is the action that you take when you are in this pattern of yours, whereas your mind is on overdrive, you're triggered, your palms are sweaty, and then you just do this thing. So that's one piece of it, understanding what's going on. The second piece of it is making sure you have the actual facts about your level of competence because you are fighting your own brain. I was feeling like an imposter with multiple degrees, years of experience, not one experience of failure in my consulting work, not one, but I was still dreading the one that I knew that was coming where I was going to fail. It wasn't what had happened before because I I had succeeded every time, but my imposter brain was like, you're about to mess this one up. All of this was a fluke. The next one, they will see that you're not that competent and that you don't know what you're talking about. And so you need data to pattern interrupt that. And the data for me was never failed at this. When I wake up in the morning to do a presentation and I feel horrible because I feel like I'm shortchanging my clients, the data is I've never done a bad presentation. So it doesn't mean that I'm incompetent that I'm doing it at four in the morning. Something else is going on, right? So get the data so that you are not fighting with random thoughts in your head that's giving you inadequate information. Just those two things will start to soften the moments. Mm -hmm. Because after that, you're going to have to try and do things differently and then feel how it feels to do it differently. Mm -hmm. When somebody asks me now for a talk, I used to be so uncomfortable about talking about money. I'm like, I can't ask for rates like that. Now I lean in and I'm like, do you have a budget? <laughs> I love that. I am I'm serious. I have no shame. I'm like, do you have a budget? And the first time I tried it, I was like, well, okay, okay, okay. We're in the big leagues now, but we are. I just need my brain to catch up. That makes a lot of sense to me. The pattern interrupt. My understanding, you're in a fight or flight type of mind state and you've got to interrupt that and silence it for a minute and then re-channel in a way. It reminds me of the pause. So you think and then you act. But this is the thing that came to my mind, Phoebe. It's that it's different. It may be different for everyone in terms of what their trigger is and what will work for them based on their experience. What is the outcome that you're looking for as a result of this symposium? So what- there, there are a few, right? For me, I, I'm very excited of the panel because I think we have different ways of seeing things. For me, there are a few outcomes. Number one is self-awareness is super important for me. So for women to understand what is going on with them and also understand what imposter syndrome actually looks like. So you don't confuse, for instance, lack of experience or self-doubt with imposter syndrome, because that's not what it is. When you're starting out in your career, it is not imposter syndrome. It's you're afraid because you haven't done this stuff. 10 years down the road, you're not going to be feeling the same things, right? So just understand Understanding those concepts is one thing, and and I'm hoping we'll be able to come out of it. The other thing that's super important for me, I don't know if we're going to be able to chat about it, but it's really important. There's been a move recently. There was an article in Harvard Business Review, I think it was in 2021, that talked about should we stop telling women they have imposter syndrome? And basically, the thesis of that article was that it's not an individual woman's problem. It's a problem of systems and corporations that are not made to welcome women. And in that particular article, it was also specifically for women of color. And so that triggers imposter syndrome. And then recently, there's that conversation has also shifted where there was a, a woman who did a commencement speech She's the CEO of Girls Who Code. And she did a commencement speech where she was saying, 
the same thing where the problem is the system. It's not you. So let's fight the system instead of trying to change you. That is a discourse that I understand and that upsets me very strongly. Because the thing about imposter syndrome, 100%, 100% the systems were not made for anybody. So we can take that as the starting assumption. However, imposter syndrome is the experience of a woman, an entrepreneur by herself at two in the morning, writing a proposal, putting the number at the bottom of her proposal, freaking out and halving it, cutting it in half. It's an individual experience of not enoughness. Now, if the general ethos is that imposter syndrome is a system thing, now she has nowhere to go. She can't say, I'm feeling not enough. I have imposter syndrome because now she thinks I shouldn't have imposter syndrome. It's the system. Why am I still feeling so crappy? So we need both. We need to understand that the systems have to change. And I'm happy that there are all these people who are working on systems, but I want individual women to understand what's happening with them, interrupt their own patterns, their own emotions so that they can do what they need to do instead of waiting for the system to change. I'm an African. If we had to wait for the system to change to be able to show up anywhere in the world, we would still be waiting by the side of the road. Systems are not about to change. They have no reason to change. Individuals can take charge of what's going on in their bodies, their hearts, and their minds with adequate support, bring themselves to a place of strength and power, and maybe address the system. But we can't put this on individual women. It's not fair. That makes total sense to me. Getting back to the comment that I had about being in total control of yourself, that would be in total control of yourself and not dependent on the system to be fixed in order for you to be fixed. The power that you have, the only control you have is over yourself. 100%. And that there are systemic problems. Yes. That's super important. We're not saying they're not systemic problems, but I can't do anything about it today or tomorrow. No. I can do something about myself and how I show up. Absolutely. And it just brings to mind some experiences that I've had. However, understanding the system is like that, okay? And then finding a way to work within the system is the key thing. I know that we're moving towards the end of our talk today. So I want to ask you two questions, if you wouldn't mind. One is, what is the greatest lesson that you've learned in this experience that you've had, this life experience landing where you are now? And the second is, what's next for you? I love both. I really love both. The greatest lesson is that I will always be okay. I really learned that I will always be okay. Sometimes it feels so crappy and so deep in the crappiness and I'm always okay. And that trust is something that I know that I can count on. What's next for me? I want to travel. That's what I want. That's what's on my vision board. I have travel on my vision board. I was raised as a traveler and I put boots in this country but now I want to get on the road. I want to speak. I want to moderate. I want to be an advisor to women all over the world. I want to hang out in West Africa, visit Ghana, Nigeria. I just want to be in planes. That's what's next for me. That's what is on my vision board and that I'm working very hard <laughs> to manifest. I have no doubt. I have no doubt in my mind that you will manifest everything that you want. It's no doubt because of where you are right now. So it's a beautiful thing. I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I hope this is not the last time that we'll connect. Yes, this was lovely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Next Chapter Experience. If you have already subscribed, rated and left a review or shared this podcast with a friend, many, many thanks. For questions, comments, or feedback, reach out to me at Jeanette Lissette at nextchapterexperience.com. We'll be back with more conversations. So until then, keep that fire burning.